0: This is One North Stories. Our goal here is quite simple. We provide hyper-local, brand-based storytelling at the intersection of science, technology, and business here in Singapore, with a global perspective. We are starting with a launch series focused on technology startups, and then plan to take the podcast broader, telling our stories, your stories, about the Singapore deep tech ecosystem. Whether you work as a venture capitalist on Sand Hill Road or in Southeast Asia, already doing R&D in Singapore, or perhaps a student dreaming big about technology or someone in between. Join us to learn about the exciting technology being developed in our labs in Singapore, their translation journeys to market and the inspirational people coming together to make yesterday's dream reality. If you have future episode ideas, segment ideas or want to partner with us on this exciting journey, please get in touch. Our contact details are in the show notes. These are our stories we hope they inspire you to create your own. And now, on to the show.
1: When I went to enter Entrepreneur First, even though I had not made coffee before, I, I sort of knew that I could rely on fermentation to create all sorts of
2: fun new things. Bean-free coffee is making coffee without using coffee beans. So instead of using coffee beans, we upcycle uh, foods that would otherwise be thrown away, such as surplus bread, okara, brewed spent grain. And then using our proprietary fermentation process, we create coffee's flavors. And then we roast this product and we grind it up. The end result brews and tastes just like ground coffee. We just use about 10 times less CO2 to uh, make it happen. It is not for everyone. And we've heard that over and over. Some people are willing to pay 10 to $15 for an Americano. I don't want to live in a world where that's the case. And I think that the mass market doesn't want to live in a world where that's the case. For those that really love the story of the bean and the altitude, and that is sort of what they love about coffee, it's not for them. But we believe that the mass market really just wants a delicious beverage at the right price.
0: For this episode, I've sat down with Jake and DJ from Prefer. They're working to bring a new twist on a classic, coffee without the coffee bean. They are upcycling day-old bread, alkara and brewer-spent grain. Through proprietary fermentation and roasting, they are creating a coffee bean substitute with approximately 10 times less CO2 than traditional coffee beans. They are scaling up production at the Foodtech Innovation Center, Narasa's flagship pilot and development facility, with a go-to-market scheduled for November 2023. The two co-founders met at Entrepreneur First. Wanting to do something in the sustainable food space with fermentation, they landed on bean-free coffee and started Prefer. They share about the challenges the coffee market is facing due to climate change, plans for rapid expansion, Singapore, Asia, and then the world, creating flavors through fermentation, first coffee, but planning ahead for other climate change-challenged crops, such as cacao and hazelnut and the desire to create a great workplace culture and company, solving today's food challenges in a sustainable manner. On to the interview. Hello and welcome to One North Stories. Today we are at the FTIC by Nirasa. It's a new facility here in Biopolis. There's a secret elevator to B1, a brand new facility for food tech. And today we are here to visit, interview, prefer coffee. And so we have Jake and DJ. Welcome to One Our Stories. Thanks for having us. Okay, so let's get in right into it. Maybe we we'll can start with some introductions. First, who you are, what you're doing here.
2: Sounds good. So I'm Jake Berber. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Prefer. I'm uh, originally from Austin, Texas, and I'm a neuroscientist by training. Then I moved to Tel Aviv after graduating college to work in a biotech startup. After a while there, I realized I needed to be working more on climate solutions. So that's when I became a VC investing in sustainable food tech startups, basically as an excuse to learn as much as possible about climate and food tech, knowing that I wanted to start something of my own one day. And luckily, one thing has led to another, and that's ended up happening. Moving to Singapore last year, originally to finish my MBA at NUS and co-founding Prefer with DJ. Okay, DJ. Hi, thanks for having me. DJ here graduated
1: with a degree in chemistry from UCL on an ASR scholarship. Upon graduation, I came back to Singapore, started working in organic chemistry, and then I moved on to create flavors and fragrances from biotransformation. Along the way, I also started a kombucha brewery and food consultancy. So there, we were consulting for machine star restaurants, cocktail bars in Singapore, help them create new products, new flavors, new ingredients, all derived from fermentation. Following that, I went back to research and I was working in creating serum-free media for cultivated meat here here at BTI. And yeah, late last year, I joined a startup accelerator, Entrepreneur First, and that was where I met Jake.
0: You have another title, The Prince of Fermentation, at at least for for our Singapore context. Can can you tell us first, is that that a self-given nickname or someone else gave it to you?
1: No, so it was afforded to me during a a CNA lifestyle interview. And and the journalist was looking for a, a catchy headline no, to, 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 to write the story. Yeah, but it, it started out when and I was uh, teaching fermentation workshops at the hawker centers uh, at Tongbaru uh, with, with a group of friends. Uh, the, the idea really was to democratize science and chemistry. And we figured the best way to get people interested in science was to get them interested through food. Okay. All right. So we brought mason jars. We brought projectors down. We brought speakers and mics down to the hawker center and just started talking about how to make kimchi, about the science of miso, of rice, wine, or fish sauce. And yeah, we, we had quite a, a lively following. Um, after a while, bartenders and, and chefs took notice and they started to attend the workshops. Um, and, and they wanted us to uh, conduct master classes uh, for the staff uh, back at their workplaces. Uh, that later spun into a boutique consultancy uh, and then you we know, started consulting for bars and restaurants instead. Um, and, and it was because of you know, all this work uh, in the f industry. Uh, that the journalist took notice and and how the title came to be.
0: Okay. Are you still doing the consultancy work or now you're Uh, full-time? I'm full-time on on Prefer. Full-time on Prefer. You mentioned like cooking, food, the science and the chemistry behind it. So were you, let's say, first into food as a youngster or were you into the chemistry and the science angle?
1: Definitely chemistry. Um, I was studying abroad in in the UK and I was was living alone. I was trying to figure out how to take care of myself better. Uh, So I was cooking food for myself. Making coffee for myself, I figured, hey, why not try and apply some of the chemistry principles I was learning in, in class in the kitchen. And I started looking up about amino acids, about you know, uh, glutamic acids and, and how they impact taste and flavor, looking at how salt and pH affects my reactions so to affect browning. And yeah, one thing led to another. When I came back to Singapore, I was really keen to explore food science. And I think back then, five years ago, it, it was not so much a thing, and, but I was lucky that it took off and interest grew. And,
0: and Jake, did you have any, let's say, first technical loves? You talked about the the neuroscience background, and then getting into climate, but then food out of that. Does that relate really any of your childhood dreams?
2: Yeah, first technical loves. Uh, well, my my first topic of interest was definitely neuroscience. I, more on a personal note, I had a few friends in high school that were really struggling with depression and other mental health issues. And I noticed that none of, their, none of their depression drugs were working, essentially. So I was on a mission to try and find a better solution for depression. And so that led me to write my thesis and neuroscience and alternative sources of healing for depression. But then after starting my career in neuroscience, I started just learning more about climate. Within climate, I learned more and fell in love with food tech and sort of creating this sustainable food and beverage system. And yeah, along the way, while I was working at the VC, investing in food tech, that's where I learned about the unsustainability of coffee. That's where I learned that basically the supply is diminishing, demands rising, and it's a $500 billion market with very few solutions. And luckily I met DJ and he sort of had that solution to that, that problem that we're trying to solve now, which is creating a sustainable and affordable food system, starting with coffee.
0: Okay, so coffee, um, prefer your, your tagline is bean-free coffee. So tell us a little bit, what is bean-free coffee? And, and yeah, how, how does that tie into to what you just talked about, food sustainability?
2: Yeah, so bean-free coffee is making coffee without using coffee beans. So instead of using coffee beans, we upcycle uh, foods that would otherwise be thrown away, such as surplus bread, okara, brew spent grain. And then using our proprietary fermentation process, we create coffee's flavors, and then we roast this product and we grind it up, the end result, brews and tastes just like ground coffee we just use about 10 times less co2 to uh, make it happen
0: okay any super secret ingredients there or that's dj smiling that that's your magic
1: yeah i mean we, we rely on, on fermentation to you know create value um from food byproduct that would otherwise be thrown away and that essentially is the, the secret sauce of the business
0: okay Let's take a one step back. So you guys met at Entrepreneur First in Singapore, is that correct? Correct. When you went into Entrepreneur First, were you specifically looking at food tech, at fermentation, or you were just kind of very open to, to ideas that, that, that
2: you'd find there? Yeah, I think I was coming from a non-technical point of view, wanting to work on something within food tech and within food tech, wanting to work within fermentation. So within food tech, it's kind of the three buckets, plant-based solutions, fermentation technology, and cultivated meat essentially in my opinion each has their strengths and weaknesses their pros and cons but fermentation for me is the most direct way we can make an impact now in terms of making delicious and sustainable products and so that's sort of base one of where dj and i connected was we want to do something in fermentation what that was has gone through a few different pivots and iterations and coffee was the one that got the most traction and yeah that's what, how we ended up starting prefer
0: okay i'm just curious to- before you went into EF, DJ, I mean, did you know that that you could make bean-free coffee?
1: No, not coffee in, in particular. Um, but with my consulting work for bars and restaurants, we were creating all sorts of funky, weird, novel ingredients, novel flavors to begin with. We were making our own nata di coco. We were making vinegars. We were making wines and beers from sugarcane juice. We were making marmite from surplus sourdough. So. Yeah, when I went to, when I went to enter Entrepreneur First, even though I had not made coffee before, I, I sort of knew that I could rely on fermentation to create all sorts of fun new things. So, when did you guys exit Entrepreneur First? We already had an exit. <laughs> no,
2: no, <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, uh, Wait, no, we... no, no, in
0: January. G- G- January this year. Yeah. Correct. So, it so was the... G- January 2023. And now we are, yeah, middle of 2023 here at Narasa which is the uh, Food Innovation Center. So, so what's, what's happened in, in these last six plus months to go from, let's say, this idea of, of, of the bean-free coffee to yeah, now having your own space to, to start your pilot production?
2: Yeah, I, I can touch on the commercial side of things and let DJ go more into the amazing things we've been able to do with the product. So on the commercial side of things, we were able to fundraise from Entrepreneur First, and we have also been supported by government entities here in Singapore, like Enterprise Singapore, A Star, and they have given us some non-dilutive financing for research collaboration agreements and other things as well. And so that's really given us the base financially and the support to sort of go and achieve the, go and take this idea and and turn it into reality. So that's on the financing side of things. In terms of commercial side of things, we have been basically validated by the market that people will buy this once we make it. So we have around 200,000 Singapore dollars in, Signed LOIs with customers that are basically waiting for us to get a manufacturing license and commercialize in November. And that's when we plan to launch our, our in stores as well as with other uh, consumer facing products as well with our partners.
0: Okay, so clock's ticking, DJ. January to November to launch. <laughs> so, what do you need to do on the technical side to,
1: for that? Yeah, I think well on safety and regulation, we have crossed initial hurdles. We are safe to test, we are safe to offer our, our product out to, to consumers. On manufacturing R&D and scale, we started out with a couple of grams, really like a cup of coffee. Now we are making at least a kilo of our product. And I think we need to, you know we are looking at like 10x that within, within the next couple of weeks to get to a small pilot scale. Yeah, I, I think so far we when we offer our coffee to folks, more than half of people say that they like it. We are getting nutty, chocolatey flavor notes that resemble or mimic a Brazilian Arabica a bit of style of coffee and that we think is a a flavor profile that has a mainstream appeal. So how how long does the batch take to let's
0: say from conception to getting it in a in a cup? Anywhere from thirty six to forty eight hours. Okay, so oh that's very fast then? Yeah, very fast. So it's it's not weeks of fermentation or anything. do, do you guys have any other employees? I mean, we're, we're here with the two co founders. Is there any need to hire
2: anybody now? Yeah, we do have another employee, our R and D scientist, E So E used to lead product development at a company where okay. they were turning bread into beer and other delicious sodas so she has great relations with ingredient suppliers that we use and she has extensive experience creating flavors from fermentation she's also a trained barista and which is very helpful for us because she's helping us test different applications in the coming weeks we will be testing applications for espresso pull putting it into pods or capsules and so yeah she's really helping us expand what we can do with our product
0: okay so just very curious on, from, from the brews to angle. I've, I've got a list of, of 10 things here and I, I say, will it brew? So can, can we go through these 10 things and, and you guys say yes or no? I, I assume the answer is going to be yes for all of them, <laughs> but just for some context here. Because totally we want to be a worldwide podcast, so everyone brews their coffee a little bit differently. Yep. So yep. Let's, let's start with the, the, the Singapore angle. Um, have you brewed it in a sock? Yes. And, and it works? Yeah, it works. It works, OK. So it goes in a sock, an espresso machine? So that's on the uh, to-do list. To-do list. Mocha pot.
2: I did that. Yeah, my Italian roommate. Shout out Giuseppe.
0: (laughs) French press. Yes. I assume that one's quite simple. Yeah. Aeropress.
1: No, not yet, but we believe that it will work. Okay.
0: Percolator. No. No, not yet,
2: or not yet, not yet. All of these are not yet. Not not yet. I'm going to say yes to all of them, and DJ rolls his eyes.
0: (laughs) Um, Drip coffee. Yes. Capsules. To-do list. To-do list. Okay. Um, what about instant or like
2: a freeze-dried? Mm, that is a, let's further down the to-do list. Yeah. Uh, I would say that's the furthest away. That one is the least priority. We're selling coffee grounds to integrate into barista workflows and at-home sort of workflows. And uh, instant coffee is a whole other market in itself.
1: Okay.
0: Probably also less margin. I would assume I mean, it's the lowest cost. You said Coffee. It. Okay. Yeah. And then my last one is a pour-over. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Thanks. So just coming back then to to your process, you talked a little bit about your feedstock and kind of the feedstock or let's say the feedstock for beans is changing, climate change and less reliability, meaning less predictability for flavors. Remind us again, what, what are you using as your feedstock and why, let's say, why is that reliable versus let's say a beans?
2: Yeah. So our three main ingredients are surplus bread that was sent back to the factory, day-old bread essentially okay. that didn't sell in the day, Okara, which is a byproduct of turning soybean into soy milk, and Brewer's spent Grain, which is a byproduct of making beer. So we turn these ingredients that are essentially waste with no value into an ingredient that we can sell at the same price as ground coffee. And we have chosen these ingredients for two reasons. One is that they are in abundance of waste essentially everywhere around the world, and so we can have a massive climate impact here in reduction of food waste, and secondly, they are The feedstock that help us create the most coffee-like beverage and so because of that we can achieve scale and we can make a very quality product at the same time
0: okay so currently do you have to pay to get these feedstocks or kind of just bring your van maybe in the future a truck and and just take it i mean not take it i obviously have a good agreement to, to take it
2: but no we take it no what we do is yeah we essentially get these ingredients for free today we do have an agreement with our suppliers that we will be paying a nominal amount as we scale because these are truly products of value and we want to have great long-term partnership with these suppliers and show that we value them.
0: Okay. Now, when you take those three core ingredients, do you mix the three or do, are they kind of each separate, let's say, product or potentially product lines? Yeah, mix into the final coffee. Okay, so yeah. so the final coffee product has all three of these? Has all, three, yeah. all three of these in there. Then how do you, let's say you talked a little bit about, let's say, creating your taste profile. I and mean, it's also very subjective as well. Um, how, how's that journey been over, over these last six months and then going to, to market? I mean, is it just test, test, and then try? Or do you do something a bit more
1: systematic? No, it is, it is just test, test, and try. No, I think it was, well, scientifically, we look at the key volatiles that are present in, in coffee. Right. So typically, these are furans, pyrazines, diols. And what we do is that we try to reverse engineer these molecules. Right? We look at how else can we create these molecules via natural fermentation, via microbes, via enzymes, and via ubiquitous accessible uh, feedstock, like soy, like bread, like beer grains. Everything else really is a bit of trial and error. Right? So we have initial batches. I mean, the, the first few batches of quote-unquote coffee that we, that we made tasted nothing like coffee tasted nothing like what we have today, but that was how it started. And that was how we sort of knew that maybe this could be a thing. And and the work since January was just working on marginal week-on-week improvements and iterations. The caffeine, is it, let's say, natural out of your fermentation, or do you need to add that in? So the technology naturally does not produce caffeine. So it is a hundred percent decaf product. What we find is that we can easily incorporate caffeine into the formulation, pre-packaging.
2: Okay. Yeah, so I just want to touch on that a little bit because this has been a surprising insight about the caffeine. Is So we, going, oh me personally, I was under the impression that people would just want caffeine in their coffee, uh, just like everyone wants that'll hit in the morning. But we've actually found that about 75% of our signed LOIs today are just for a decaf product. And we believe it's for a few reasons. One is it unlocks new customer segments, such as pregnant women, uh, children, people that are very sensitive to caffeine Two, It allows for cafes to stay open later. So a few coffee chains around here are testing at night concepts. And so we can serve our coffee there. And thirdly, decaf is notorious for being more expensive and less delicious. So it's a lower for, for, for an entry to market. Well, those are,
0: yeah, that we're not taking the caffeine out. Don't worry about that. Come sit with your friends and
2: family and, and enjoy. Correct. And we had a seven-year-old try it the other day and she said she doesn't like it, but it's better than that other stuff.
0: <laughs> better than that other stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. My, my kids sometimes try to sneak my coffee. and I mean, they absolutely know, like I say, no coffee till you teenagers or even late teenagers when you actually have to yeah, try to stay up late to, to do a paper or something. We'll, uh,
2: we'll give you some but samples we'll to, to some take samples home. For, for, you can label them as okay for your kids and they can true. have the coffee with you.
0: Okay, so we we talked a little bit about already, you know, your November is your planned launch, and you talked a little bit about right now you're, you're doing one kilo batch sizes. How do you get to from one kilo to the size and quantity you need to actually launch a product in, in November?
1: Yeah, I mean, I used to run a kombucha brewery, so here I have some experience in, in scaling up for commercial manufacturing. Really, it's just buy bigger tanks. It's not, it's not trivial. It's it's not linear. They is some. Uh, tweaking and, and minor adjustments needed but essentially it, it, it is a, a similar uh, process and and our approach here as, as a setup is just give it a try and then figure things out along the way. Okay so
0: these tanks and fermentation equipment you need can you buy that readily off the shelf or
1: do you kind of need to custom order and is there like a long lead time for that? Yeah so today we, we are buying our equipment off the shelf. Our advantage is that we are we're able to rely on, on, on relatively cheap, accessible equipment. We do make secret modifications uh, to optimize them uh, for our purposes. Secret modifications. I, lo- I love that.
0: I assume your investors asked uh, about your IP or finally keeping that as trade secrets?
2: Yeah. correct. the equipment that we'll be using is a trade secret. Trade secret. Okay.
0: Is this equipment expensive? Do you have enough capital now to, to get you to November and oh, beyond? Yeah. We, we, have, we have enough capital. Okay. And all that work is going to be done here at Narasa. Yeah. that's correct? That's correct. Yeah, we'll be in and at least the next. Okay. Okay, and then your first target market. So, so here we are, we're, we're here in Singapore. You've talked a little bit about, I mean, the cafe scene in Singapore and as some of your first customers for your November launch. Beyond Singapore, where, what countries are you, are you looking at and kind of on what time
2: scale? Yeah, also for the launch in November, we plan to be in at least one store in the Philippines. Okay. That's been a very interesting market order for the opposite reasons that what we talked about. They like very caffeinated coffee. And so it can sort of be on the the other end of the scale. And again, that's one of the great things about what we do is we can provide either or. So Philippines, end of the year. And other interesting markets in Southeast Asia, in particular, Vietnam, there's not only a lot of coffee drinkers there, but there's a lot of beer brewing equipment, which is similar to what we can potentially scale up into. In addition, Indonesia is a very large market. So here in Southeast Asia, we're, we're very focused here for the next year or so. In APAC, there is also a massive coffee market in Japan and Korea both. And so that could be a very interesting next step for us. But then in 2025, we plan to move beyond APAC into large coffee drinking regions such as the EU and also the the U.S. Uh, No country in the world drinks more coffee than the U.S. And personally, I'm biased to bring this back home. Okay, so 2025, prefer in, in, in the U.S.? Yeah. Prefer in Austin, Texas. In in
0: Austin, (laughs) Texas. Okay. For all these countries, you need food regulation and clearance for that. How do you go about that?
2: Correct. Yeah. So today we have non-novel food approval here in Singapore from the SFA. We believe that now that we have the green light per se from Singapore, it will allow us to have a more relatively easier time getting through the different approvals in each country, such as the FDA and the U.S and also the, the EU regulations as well. So while we will need to go through these regulations with each region we go to, we believe that with the Singapore stamp of approval, it will be a more smooth process.
0: And then as you continue to expand?
2: Until where we are in about uh, one year's time, and then we will copy and paste our operations at that point into the countries of greatest demand. And that again would be uh, more like the beginning of 2025 timeline. Okay,
0: thanks. Um... Take a a small step back about the market acceptance of bean-free coffee. So, so you've talked actually, you've had good traction, which is great to hear, maybe surprising to hear, but also traction trying to just say unlock or what you found, these new market segments for beverages. But I assume that's now go back even like January, February, and you start talking about bean-free coffee, to people into coffee. How did that go? I assume
1: it was it rough. Did anybody actually laugh at you guys? I think what was interesting was I think when we started talking to the right people, the idea immediately resonated with them because uh, these cafe- uh, coffee shops, coffee retailers, distributors were facing this pain point and that was the reduction in supply of coffee, reduction in the quality and quantity of coffee. And for them, they, have, they had never thought of serving a coffee substitute before. Uh, but when it came in, they were like, this could solve their problems. This, this could actually keep the, their doors open. And... I think it, it is th- these folks that we, that we find to be our early customers, our early advocates and
2: the beachhead market. Yeah, I, I think just to echo DJ's point, it was almost the opposite. It was very, and that's sort of why DJ and I committed to the bean-free coffee concept, what it was at first, rather than some of the other ideas we started off at first. We found a massive problem in the market. It's obvious to uh, baristas, Q graders, cafe owners, coffee supply is not only diminishing, but becoming less reliable. So if we can create a consistent supply and in turn stable pricing for them and a completely reliable product, regardless of what's going on with the climate, they're in. So the thing that we need to do now is create a product that is at the right price and just as delicious, if not more delicious than coffee beans. And if we get taste and price right, then we've actually found that people are very open to this. Okay. So
0: those, those are the, the business owners who, who are open to this. What about, let's say, end consumer tests? and consumers it is it's a mind-blowing idea not really but from one perspective it is a bit of a mind-blowing idea being free coffee what do you tell to people when you're pitching that at the consumer level
2: just before getting into that it is not for everyone and we've heard that over and over some people are willing to pay 10 to 15 dollars for an americano i don't want to live in a world where that's the case and i think that the mass market doesn't want to live in a world where that's the case so for those that really just want a delicious cup of coffee that gets the caffeinated at a good price, and yeah, it is a social experience, then this is perfect for them. For those that really love the story of the bean and the altitude, and that is sort of what they love about coffee, it's not for them. But we believe that the mass market really just wants a delicious beverage at the right price.
1: And that's what we found in our consumer taste as well. When we offer people a cup of prefer and they drink it and they're like, yeah, this, if you didn't tell me it wasn't coffee, they probably wouldn't mind and they'll probably just pay for it as they would pay for normal coffee and, and drink it.
0: That's great to hear. At the end of the day, you're right. I mean, it's a beverage. It's a beverage and we have this label of coffee and we have this romantic idea of what coffee is or was and maybe want to continue, but things evolve. I mean, we have frappuccinos, we have iced coffee in cans and people don't think twice about about those things or those, let's say, byproducts of traditional brewed coffee.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a great point that you bring up. And another insight we've learned is the majority of people here, especially in Southeast Asia, will drink their coffee with milk and sugar. So essentially, we need to create a flavor that is good enough to mix with milk and sugar and sell. And so that's sort of uh, our go to market today in November. We do suggest that uh, coffee chains will be serving it in oat latte form.
0: You get to market in in November this year, and then you have this quite aggressive plan to grow. What does that actually mean for you guys in in terms of like your operations? So it's your three person team, maybe add a couple more, but then Let's say if you're actually going into new markets, what types of challenges is that going to bring you? And yeah, how, how do you go from, let's say, the Singapore market, and then you're going from a 10X to, to 100X? It does seem quite rapid, especially because like it's not software. It's an actual product that you both need to control the sourcing of, of, of your own materials, control your production, which holds your, some of your trade secrets and I, core IPs, and then also the, the distribution and, i us say, education of your customers beyond Singapore.
2: Yeah, I think just to touch on today, so by the end of the year, we will be having at least two additional hires to help us with the scale-up process and uh, quality assurance. So we'll be hiring a sort of head of operations, most likely from the brewing industry or something more synonymous to our technology that has scaled up to much larger than what we plan to do by the end of the year. So that's one, we'll be hiring head of operations. Two, we'll be hiring head of quality control and quality assurance, Okay, basically just to make sure that everything that we do push out to the market is safe and consistent. And so that is sort of, by the end of the year, what we need to do to commercialize. Moving forward into other countries, we would need someone in that country, whichever country it is, that really knows the market well, that speaks the language, that knows the companies or the distributors, that can really help us sort of have a familiar face in the market. Rather than us coming in as these intruders in the market that are disrupting coffee, disrupting their country, we want to have a a friendly way in. So that requires having someone on, on the ground there.
0: Okay, so then you mentioned partners are especially um, in expansion markets. What types of other partners do you need? Um, like once, once you get to go more scale, do you we kind of need these partners for free manufacturing and packaging and everything? Or do you want to try to keep a lot of this in-house
1: still? I think there are a couple of options moving forward. Like we need to do the math when we do this. We can look at uh, manufacturing partners, contract manufacturers essentially, uh, to help us test out initial markets. Um, and if it's a, a viable uh, market there's, there's enough demand uh, that's something that and then we can start to think about investing in our own facility building up our own uh, equipment and tanks and, and supply chain but yeah manufacturing partners i think we are so very keen to work with local food manufacturers we're we looking at what byproducts we can potentially use or we may use different byproducts based on the agriculture uh you know economy of the the local market and, and that could be quite interesting as well for example, we're looking at incorporating fruit pulp from plantations in, in Thailand and Philippines, and that could create a unique flavor of prefer that is exclusive to the region. Well,
0: if it's good, then I hope you can export it. Okay, so you, I mean, you talked a little bit then about creating new flavors and, and things. Because you're still a very early stage startup, coffee's big. I mean, as you said at the beginning, coffee's a, a huge market that's under distress and needs some disruption. But then beyond coffee, any tells? do you have plans or plans, potential plans, dreams that you, that you put at the end of your pitch deck on what you tell investors who are looking not for a, a 100x return, but for investors who are looking for a 10,000x return?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And this is one of the reasons that DGNA wanted to work on this in the first place is because fermentation can create such an immense amount of flavors. It's not just coffee. We're just starting there. And so at Prefer, we've developed technologies that allow us to create a portfolio of different flavors, starting with coffee today. But these technologies we plan to use for other crops that are being threatened by climate change. And those crops, would examples would be cacao, hazelnut, vanilla, citrus. These flavors, unfortunately, are being threatened by climate change and will continue to. So the technology that we developed allows us to make these crops and flavors in a not only a more sustainable way, but also a more affordable way. And so that's the the vision of Prefer.
0: Okay. How will you, How let's say we're you're, you're here two three years from now, how would you define success for prefer?
1: I think for me, a commercial product level success essentially is saying prefer at, at stores and chains or around town. I, I think mm-hmm. that is one level of what we strive to achieve within, within the next months and years ahead.
2: Yeah, this is a very soft response, but I would Love for prefer to be a place where the most talented people in the world want to come and work because of the culture that we've created here and the massive impact that we do plan to have here and just making a place where people are working hard, having a lot of fun and learning a lot. And I believe that if we start with culture, we'll get the best talent. And if we get the best talent, we'll actually be able to win in this market and disrupt coffee industry to start and then move on to these other flavors as well. So to define success. I believe would be able to attract the greatest talent and have from there the greatest impact
0: okay excellent answers thank you you guys are still very fresh in your founding journey what's going well and then what do you wish let's say could have gone better to date and maybe rectifications for the near future
2: what's going well i think dj and i are going strong <laughs> we spend a lot of time together and i think investors often ask what is something that you guys like disagree upon or like what's been your biggest conflict and that's a question we really have to think hard on not that we don't have conflict but we are able to work it out in a very logical almost stoic manner there's there is a lot of feedback that we receive on a daily basis and i think dj and i are both quite good at uh, separating emotion from data and just looking for data to sort of move forward and make correct decisions so i feel like we have a really strong base going forward based on the relationship that we have in this team to start. And that's why I really want to put emphasis on culture, just to sort of keep this going.
0: Okay. DJ, anything you want to add?
1: No, I I think that really is the backbone of the company,
2: right? So if the product fails,
1: we pivot. We pivot around central values that that anchor us as founders, as employees, as a team. And that is really core to what we do here.
0: Okay. Thanks. this question may be more, more for DJ, for a Singapore local context. So DJ, you... Were or are maybe always an A-star scholar, Um, and so just wanted to to talk a little bit about let's say you you, you've chosen let's say I don't say non-traditional path, but you're 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 still young, somewhat Um, non-traditional I think. (laughs) Trailblazer, but you you I mean you have this entrepreneurial drive in you, and you talked a little bit about that earlier with the fermentation and community outreach and just getting out there on the ground talking to people about food science and about how to create flavors and then maybe then back to the lab but then always doing that outreach so dj li- leaving leaving the the ivory tower of, of the lab did you have any any apprehensions about this any doubts or kind of you knew like the entrepreneurial blood and spirit was in you and it's just something you, you
1: had to do growing up my, my dad used to run a a small hardware shop selling like paint spanners pipes and i'll i'll, I'll come, go up to the, the shop every once in a while see him work and, and so of get, get that exposure to what it, was, what it was like to, to run like a brick and mortar business. I don't know if that really inspired me to go on this journey. Maybe at some level it did. But I think at the end of the day, what I realized was when you run a small shop or when you run a business like, like Prefer, you will never have perfect information. Right? You never know if customers are going to come in tomorrow. You never know if you know, the supplier is going to mess up. You never know if you're going to make a mistake. But really it's all about taking that step taking ownership of it and you know, just getting things done. And I think diving in hit first was the only way this entrepreneurship journey was ever going to get started.
0: I mean, Jake, you, you seem like a born
2: entrepreneur, so
0: am
1: I incorrect in, in that
2: assumption? You, you would be, you'd be correct. I think also it could look to my family as well. My, my father is an entrepreneur as well. My brothers have each started their I'm the youngest of four boys. Each of them have started their own ventures as well. So in a very different fashion, I was also helping my brothers with their ventures. For example, my, my brother had a moonshine bar in Texas, and that's where I learned to ferment. And I as well got to just observe him on a day-to-day, going through business as an entrepreneur, Figuring things out on the go, me giving me a wad of cash telling me to go to the gas station real quick because I need to pick something up, but like everything is on the go like that. And so just from being in that environment since I was quite young, not the moonshine bar, but in entrepreneurship, I was really inspired to sort of do something on my own one day and I sort of have that background and uh, information to uh, make decisions as best we can. Like DJ said, you never have all the information but I think that we're both quite comfortable making decisions without everything you need to know.
0: Okay, thanks. Just as a wrap up, anything else you guys want to specifically mention or plug that that we haven't talked about already? I think uh, look out for us in your favorite cafe in November. Do you have any specific launch partners that, that you can mention today or we need
2: to wait? Not yet, not yet. I do also want to plug that we will, as I said, culture, talent, people, that's everything, to me specifically we want to create a great place where people love to work and so that being said like i mentioned earlier we are having we are hiring by the end of this year Uh, so if you are working in large-scale food and beverage manufacturing specifically in the brewing industry please do reach out to me Uh, in addition if you work in quality assurance or quality control in the food industry please reach out to me as well we would love to have you prefer and uh, if not this time we'll continue to grow and uh, keep you in the pipeline for later on Okay. And how can our audience best know, best find out about Prefer? Yeah. So we have presence on social medias. um, LinkedIn and Instagram would be best. Um, But at this point, just directly message me, jake at prefer.bio or find me on LinkedIn. J-A-K-E space B-E-R-E-R. And I will get back to you.
0: Okay. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you. you. And with that, thanks for listening. Please hit like and subscribe wherever you are getting your podcasts. Thanks for joining us for our launch series and be sure to look out for future episodes as we explore the intersection of science, technology and business in the growing Singapore deep tech scene together.